This is The Guardian. Today, from north to south, two English by-elections, what they may tell us about the state of British politics and Boris Johnson's beleaguered government. face of it, the two English constituencies voting for new MPs tomorrow are not much alike. Tiverton and Honiton is a rural seat in the southwest county of Devon that sprawls from the farmlands of Exmoor to the Jurassic Coast. The Conservatives have held it for more than a hundred years. The Conservatives here are defending a huge majority of over 24,000 but they know in the current political climate, this traditionally safe Tory seat could be vulnerable. This week, though, the Liberal Democrats are hoping they can snatch it. I am appalled by Boris Johnson, absolutely appalled. He's got no integrity, none at all. He doesn't really care about the people. Meanwhile, Wakefield in West Yorkshire is a former mining community where Labour held power from the 1930s right up to 2019. With Boris Johnson's victory that year, it fell to the Conservatives, one brick from the so-called Red Wall. This week, Labour are desperate to show they can take it back. We need to earn every single vote, and that's what I'm doing with the tone. We're not taking anything for granted. Both constituencies have at least one thing in common. Their Conservative MPs resigned in disgrace. Now, voters in each area have an opportunity to state what they want and to put pressure on Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Recently, a a lot of the time, you're not voting for who you want to be in, you're voting for who you don't want to be in. I do know friends who this time are voting tactically because they think it's the only way they can get rid of Johnson. At a time when so many people are struggling to cover the cost of living, when rail strikes are paralysing the country and with the Partygate scandal still doing damage to the government, polls show the Conservatives are in real danger of losing these two seats. Perhaps from the outside, this appears to be a, a referendum on Boris Johnson's premiership. To lose in both the North and the South would be a symbol that this government is losing its grip over the country. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, a tale of two elections. Will voters punish a government that's been hit by scandal? Helen Pidd, you're The Guardian's North of England editor. Can you tell me, why is there a by-election happening in Wakefield in West Yorkshire? The by-election was triggered in April following the resignation of the sitting Tory MP Imran Ahmad Khan, who had been convicted of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy back in 2008. The victim said he'd felt scared and vulnerable as Khan forced him to drink, watch pornography and then attacked him. 
the Boyner's family decided they didn't want to pursue the prosecution. But then the complainant in 2019, when he saw that Imran Ahmed Khan, his abuser, was standing for Parliament for the Conservatives in Wakefield, he told the court that he rang up the Conservative Party and said, hang on a minute, that guy abused me, gave him details, and he said he was sort of fobbed off, essentially. It took two and a half years for the case to actually reach court. He was convicted in April this year and sentenced in May to 18 months in prison. The MP and Rankhan already had his backs packed as he was in court earlier today. And as you say, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison. Any word for your victim, Mr Khan? Are you going to resign, Mr Khan? And do you know, how did people in Wakefield respond when their MP was found guilty of that? I think people were pretty disgusted, but they'd been frustrated for about a year beforehand because... After his arrest, he was forced to stand down as a Tory MP, so he had the whip removed from him. He was sitting as an independent MP, but they all just said that he was completely absent. He wasn't doing any casework, so they felt unrepresented for a long time. So the people in Wakefield now have had this long spell of of feeling that their concerns, their queries are not being properly dealt with by anybody. You report from Wakefield a fair bit. Can you give us a sense of what it's like as a place? Yeah, so Wakefield is a classic red wall constituency. Although Wakefield is officially a city because it's got a cathedral, it feels like a big town. It used to be a major coal mining area. It's got a rugby league team. It's the kind of place where people are a bit more into rugby league than they are football. It's culturally quite rich. It's got the Hepworth Art Gallery in the constituency. It's neither sort of desperately poor nor affluent. It's a kind of average place, really. In some other ways, it's not classic red wall. It's not one of those places where the Labour vote used to be kind of weighed because it was so massive. If you look back at the majorities Labour's had over the past 20 years, sometimes they got as low as about 1,500, never got above six, 7,000. So it's been fairly marginal for a long time and, and there's, there has been a sort of undercurrent of Tory sentiment for a long time, which obviously reached its head in 2019 when the Conservatives won. This has been an absolute shock for the people of Wakefield, not least, of course, for Mary Cray, who was the Labour MP uh, until, of course, recently. And last night, she lost her seat in dramatic style, being beaten by the Conservatives. The Conservative candidate, Imran Khan, is now the new MP for Wakefield. How desperate do you think Labour are to win back this seat? Labour is desperate to win this seat. I think Labour knows full well that if they can't win Wakefield, a seat where... The last Tory MP is now in prison after being found guilty of sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy, then all hope really is lost. Peter Walker, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian and you've been spending some time in Tiverton and Honiton in Devon, which is where the other by-election is taking place on Thursday. Can you remind me... What happened to its former Tory MP? Why is this by-election taking place? Ah, yes. Well, the former Conservative MP, Neil Parrish, who'd been the MP since 2010, he was a backbencher, but reasonably influential. He chaired the Agriculture and Rural Affairs Committee in the uh, Commons. He resigned after admitting watching pornography twice on his mobile phone in the House of Commons. 
I'm not going to defend it. I'm also not going to defend what I did. What I did was absolutely, totally wrong. And there was this famous explanation where he said the first time he watched it, he was looking for something connected to tractors, which prompted a lot of kind of speculation about what sort of Google search would bring that up. But then the second time he said he deliberately did it, he was very sorry. And he stepped down. So suddenly there was this very, very safe or previously safe conservative seat, but where they had to try and defend it in not the easiest of circumstances. Peter, I last spoke to you when Boris Johnson was facing a vote of confidence from his MPs, which he won by a fairly narrow margin. I can announce that the Parliamentary Party does have confidence. Of course, he stayed on as Prime Minister, but he's got a lot of work to do to convince voters and the sceptics in his party that he's fit to lead. How important is it to him that the Conservatives win this by-election? I think it's pretty important. I mean, the Wakefield by-election, I think a loss is already priced in, certainly amongst Conservative MPs. Tiverton and uh, Honiton, I mean, I think a lot of them secretly expect that the Liberal Democrats are going to win, even though, you know, it's going to be very, very close. So it would be certainly another kind of hammer blow. It wouldn't necessarily be a terminal one, but it would be another piece of the brick wall being pulled out. I'm a journalist from The Guardian newspaper. We're doing a story about the Wakefield by-election next week. Are you guys from Wakefield? Helen, you've just come back from Wakefield. Do you mind if I ask you how you like who you might be voting for? What you make? Can you tell me about your trip? Where did you start? So I started in the south of the constituency. It was a beautiful sunny day. So I, I thought, well, I'll go and see who's in the park. Before I went to Wakefield this time, obviously I'd seen the polls, which had suggested Labour was going to have a stonking 20-point lead over the Conservatives. And I've been to other places in the north of England recently, Rishi Sunak's constituency in Richmond, Berry North, which is the most marginal Tory constituency, and found real anger at the Conservatives. Nothing, absolutely nothing would surprise me that this government gets away with, well, maybe not murder, but it gets away with an enormous amount. That just didn't seem to be present in Wakefield, actually. And a lot of people I was talking to, when I'd asked them about the by-election, they'd kind of roll their eyes, complain about all of the trees that had been felled to make the leaflets that were kind of littering their doorway. And then they would often say, oh, well, Boris always done these terrible things and party gate this party gate thou we can't trust them and then they would say oh but i'm still voting for the conservatives i don't believe in any of the politicians around at the minute they all talk a good shop but in the end of the day it doesn't seem to be working i see boris at the head yeah he's made some mistakes he's been pretty dreadful in parts but on the big picture he's done good stuff so I feel like Boris Johnson has handled COVID well and also the way he's handled exams for students, that's been really good as well. I feel like nowadays loads of people are focused on the older generation and during COVID loads of people just thought about them and not us and how our education was impacted. But I feel like he does and he understands that so that's why as an 18 year old I would vote for him. So there's a lingering kind of pro-Boris vote still there? People still say things like, oh, but he's funny, isn't he? I thought that feeling had more or less gone and that the joke had got old. And I think what's particularly frustrating for many of the Labour campaigners, particularly the Labour MPs, is this feeling that Boris's misbehaviour and his lies have kind of impacted on all politicians. 
And as a result, all MPs, all politicians get tarred with the same brush. So there is this feeling of kind of a plague on all of your houses. And what about Keir Starmer? What did people say about him? Oh man, Keir Starmer, he's just not cutting through at all. And this is one of the uniting things. People I was talking to, people who are voting Labour or Tory, they'd kind of wrinkle their noses when I said, what do you think of Keir Starmer? Well, A, if they'd heard of him. So that is not a given. Wow, really? Yeah, still, almost two and a half years into Keir Starmer's leadership. He's a criticiser, not an action person. It's just quite comfortable to stand and criticise what other people do. I don't think I could say when I think about Keir Starmer. Really, why? (laughs) Oh, it's totally useless. He never says what he, he's going to do. He's no policies. I think part of the problem is that Boris's personality is so big, it eclipses everything else. So it's really hard to cut through. I was talking to this one lady called Barbara Hall, and she was minding her own business at her senior citizens club in Horbury, who turns up Keir Starmer. She kind of watches him work the room. And uh, I said to her, what did you make of him? And she was just like, I wasn't convinced. He didn't fit in. Boris would fit in, wouldn't he? You know, he'd have he'd have had us all laughing and screaming. And, you know, what many people would see as Keir Starmer's strength, his composure, his seriousness, it hasn't really filtered through. And what has filtered through, all of the Tory attack lines, I heard it over and over again. Keir Starmer comes over as weak. Everything you hear on the news and that is jumping on the bandwagon and going on the opposite to what the in parties say it just doesn't seem to cut it for me captain hindsight that gets said and it's not that people kind of hated him they're not buying it i think the fact that the shadow cabinet (laughs) are briefing about how boring he is is also not helpful i know it's been the case in elections over several years now but it still seems incredible to me that in a former mining area people are so disengaged with the labor party Yeah, definitely. One of the guys that I interviewed was called Peter Bagshaw and he was um, an ex-miner. He worked in the local pit Kellingly, which was the last deep shaft mine in Britain to close back in 2015. And he was saying, oh, I was, you know, always Labour until 2019. I've only voted Tory once in my life and that was for the Brexit. Much as it is a Labour area, Wakefield, the lady who put up was very anti-Brexit. And she certainly didn't know the mood of the Wakefield people, albeit that they were the majority Labour voters. So a vast majority turned their back on the Labour to vote for someone who was behind getting us out of Europe. And he was just saying, I'm just not ready to go back to Labour. Who's trying to win back this seat for Labour on Thursday then? Tell me about their candidate. There was some controversy when the Labour candidate, Simon Lightwood, was chosen. It was felt by the local party he was an imposition, he had been parachuted in. He used to be a caseworker for Mary Cray, who was the MP from 2005 to 2019. He makes a big play of saying, oh, I'm proud to be an NHS worker, which has led quite a lot of people to think, oh, is he a doctor, is he a nurse? Um, He actually does press for an NHS trust in, in West Yorkshire. He also makes a big play of the fact that he bought his first house in the constituency, but he hasn't actually lived there for quite a long time and he lives over with his husband in Calderdale. So there was just a sort of feeling of bad blood that Simon Lightwood had been imposed on them. And there's various members of the local party who walked out of the selection meeting and have refused to campaign for him. 
But what Labour Party has done in order to kind of flood Wakefield with activists, they've imposed a three-line whip on every member of the shadow cabinet. They've all had to come up three times. Keir Starmer has been to Wakefield three times as well. You've seen other major party figures such as Andy Burnham turning up and campaigning. So they have thrown the kitchen sink at it, really. And what about the candidate the Tories are putting up this time? So the Conservative candidate standing in the by-election is called Nadim Ahmed. He's a former teacher who's been a councillor for the Conservative Party in Wakefield for a while. He was, until last year, the Tory group leader, but he got ousted in a vote of no confidence. Um, he's kind of a nice, unassuming guy. Uh, I spoke to him a couple of uh, weeks ago after Imran Ahmed Khan's conviction, and he said to me, oh, I'm a Guardian reader. This is exciting to be talking to the Guardian. And you don't often hear that from a potential Tory candidate. His big play in this by-election is that he is the local candidate, although it actually emerged on the weekend he lives in the neighbouring constituency rather than Wakefield itself. Peter, tell me about your trip to Tiverton. Where did you start the day? I started the day at a higher education college called Petrock and I first of all followed round the Lib Dem candidate, Richard Ford, who is a volunteer, a former army officer. He basically gives off quite kind of soft Tory vibes. I was for the most part an education officer. Yes. Uh, I was in the Adjutant General's Corps. I served in Kosovo and, and Iraq. And I, I am very much a West Country lad in the sense that, you know, I am of this rural part of the world. I was born and brought up here in the West Country. And they kept on joking that, you know, all the local Conservatives think he was grown in a lab to try and to, you know, take away their voters. And obviously the Lib Dems have got a habit of throwing everything at by-election campaigns. So there were two MPs out there with me. So there was 15% of the entire Lib Dem parliamentary party on one night road. And I did the classic thing of following them round and as they chatted to voters, listening in and then at a suitable moment, just going trying to chat to people and see what they thought. How are you going to vote? Um, possibly Liberal Dem. How do you normally vote? Conservative. We're traditionally Labour voters, but it might sway us to vote Lib Dem to try and get the Tories out. My favourite one, just as I was walking between streets, I came across this woman who looked like she was in her 60s, waiting for a bus, and I just started chatting to her. And I asked her, you know, what do you think of Boris Johnson? She looked at me and just said a single word. She said, crap. And I said, oh, you know, that's very strong. You know, what was your opinion of him in the uh, 2019 election? She said, crap, but just a bit less crap. <laughs> so a bit less crap uh, might suffice. After the last election, the Lib Dems lost a lot of seats and they were a distant third place in this seat. But there are signs from some more recent by-elections that they've won that, that people in marginal seats are willing to give them a chance. Does that seem to be the case in Tiverton and Honiton? It very much does. The Lib Dems like by-elections like no other parties. The aftermath of the 2019 general election was really, really bad for them. There'd been predictions they could win 50 or 60 seats. And they did appallingly badly. Their leader, Joe Swinson, lost her seat. They were down to just a tiny core. But then the interesting thing was that they found North Shropshire by-election at the end of last year. That was very different. That was rural. That was Brexity. But it was this same basic feeling of a previously very safe Conservative seat where people just felt they'd be taken for granted. And that's a phrase that comes up again and again, taken for granted. And it's the sort of thing that basically for the Lib Dems, the longer Boris Johnson stays as PM, the better they feel that they're going to do. Who's the Conservative candidate now? It is a local teacher called Helen Herford, and she's been active in Conservative politics for a while. The problem is that the National Party has got so many questions to answer too. There's so many 
contentious kind of wedge issues going on. So there's obviously Boris Johnson, the parties, the confidence vote against him, the fact that 41% of his own MPs don't want him to be in uh, power currently, and things like the Rwanda deportation scheme, you know, the Northern Ireland Protocol. There's a lot of very difficult stuff, but more generally, the Conservatives in the last year or so have been trying to defend safe seats by basically having this slightly bunker mentality. So also in the North Shropshire by-election, and then before that, about the year ago, in the Chesham and uh, Amersham by-election, which was the first recent big Lib Dem win, the Tory candidates were nowhere to be seen. And Labour, have, of course, got a candidate running as well. How much effort do they seem to be putting into trying to win this seat? It's pretty clear that certainly Labour HQ is focusing on Wakefield massively, and that's where they're tending to send people, and they're, you know, they're, they're putting as much effort as they possibly can there. They've had various shadow ministers coming down, but you know, more the slightly less well-known ones or the more local shadow ministers. And I've talked to you know various Labour councillors and also the Labour candidate Liz Pohl, and she very, very strongly argues that they're going to do better than people think. One issue that's really important in this by-election, as well as in the Wakefield one, is the cost of living and how each party proposes it'll help people. What did the voters in Tiverton, who you spoke to, say about that? It kind of all came back into this general idea of a constituency and an area that feels like it's been taken for granted. The idea that the Conservatives have won there for so long that... You know, when they have a general election, they have to fight 650 seats. They don't really necessarily bother putting that much effort into one they think they're going to win anyway. And rural seats like that have got quite a lot of poverty in them. And rural poverty is quite tricky to address. It's often hard to see. One mother with young kids I was talking to was saying there was nowhere for young kids to go. And it's this whole general austerity malaise that's been a problem since 2010. I actually volunteer for the Honiton Food Save and we give out free food to the community. Um, and that helps out our family a lot and it helps out a lot of other families in Honiton too. There's also a kind of real worry about health-related things like ambulance services. This is something the Lib Dems are fighting on a lot. The fact there's fewer GPs, people complain if you do call an uh, ambulance, it can take a really long time to come. The NHS-funded and government-funded things are being cut more and it's up to the local people and the local communities to make up for all of that, really. So it's the sort of stuff which builds up over years. And even if you're a Conservative candidate, even if you're the best in the world, it's kind of quite difficult to battle against this sense that an area hasn't really been thought about properly for quite a long time. Ed Davey, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, has accused Boris Johnson of hiding from people in Tiverton and Honiton, saying that he's not talking to ordinary people and that no one seems to know where he is. What do people there think of Boris Johnson? It's fair to say that they're not incredibly enamoured of him. There are some people who are willing to give him another go. There is a lot of support for Boris, but there is a lot of people that don't want him in. They want a change. They're, they're all liars. You can't trust them. They're, they're unbelievable. I mean, this is not good for Boris Johnson, but it's also not necessarily great for Labour and to an extent the Lib Dems. A lot of the stuff that reflects badly on Johnson sometimes then spills out into this general sense of politics isn't great at the moment, things aren't very good. The worry is, that I think, for Boris Johnson's minders, is that if he was to do a walkabout around the town, he'd probably be booed. Coming up, could this week's results mean a new challenge 
to Boris Johnson's leadership. The fear for the Prime Minister, potentially, is that if they lose here and in Wakefield, it could reignite calls for his resignation within the party. Conversely, if, contrary to the prevailing narrative, they manage to hold on here, then that's going to be fascinating to see how it might be used in the context of Westminster's power struggles. Helen, I know you're going back to Wakefield tomorrow for the count. Which way do you think it's going to go? I don't think this is going to be a landslide. I think the polls are wrong. I think it's going to be narrower than a 20-point lead. I think Labour are probably still going to win. And I've spoken to a lot of MPs who've been canvassing there, much more than me, just dropping in for a day, who say, no, I think we will win. But I think it's going to be quite close. And of course, Labour needs to win. And if they don't win this by-election, then it poses massive questions, not just for the leadership, but also the kind of future of the party if they can't win back a seat like Wakefield. Peter... As you got on the train home that evening after your day in Tiverton and Honiton, what were you thinking about? What from the day had really stayed on your mind? What struck me was the fact that it didn't look like it was a slam dunk Lib Dem win. There was a bit of a narrative given the North Shropshire result. When Tiverton and uh, Honiton was called, people were kind of thinking, well, you know, this is exactly the same. It's a rural Brexity seat. The incumbent Tory MPs had to leave under slightly murky uh, circumstances. Surely they're going to win. The thing that also struck me was the fact that this is a place where Neil Parish had a majority of over 24,000. I mean, that is massive. And if, hypothetically, on June 23rd, the Conservative win by 1,000 or even 2,000 votes, that will be portrayed as, you know, a massive boost for Boris Johnson. You know, the winning Johnson is back. But the fact that they're clinging on for dear life in seats which should be amongst their safest doesn't really bode well for, you know, the future of the government. And I think there's a lot of Conservative MPs will be thinking, well, if the would-be successor to Neil Parrish can lose their seat, then I'm going to. So they're not just facing this Labour threat. They're facing this kind of pincer movement that Labour are coming back in places like Wakefield and in the North and Midlands. You know, it remains to be seen quite how much. But at the same time, in this other kind of swathe of seats, whether it's commuter belt seats around London or whether it's in the southwest of England, where the Lib Dems have had a presence for quite a long time. The Lib Dems are doing another squeeze. And that's almost the problem for Boris Johnson, that if enough of his MPs believe that under him they're going to lose their seats, then they might well do something about it. I know I ask you this every time I speak to you, Peter, <laughs> and you know what it's going to be. Can Boris Johnson survive as the Prime Minister, if his party loses both of these constituencies? I think not only he, can he, but he certainly will, at least for a period. One of the notable things about the last week-ish is the way that the news agenda and the political agenda has moved on for the confidence vote incredibly quickly. When Theresa May won hers by a slightly better margin than Boris Johnson near the end of 2018, that kind of sense of the sword of Damocles hanging over her was a kind of constant from then on until about six months later when she announced that she was going to quit. And that was in part this whole issue of her having a coherent block of Brexit Tories against her and the fact that she didn't have a majority in the Commons, whereas Boris Johnson won a majority of 80, is now down to about 78. And obviously, if he loses these seats, it'll go down even more. But that's still quite a lot to play with. He's not going to suddenly start losing lots of Commons votes. And I'm not sure two by-election losses would be enough. 
But I think what it would do would punt the unhappiness forward to the autumn, where the Cross-Party Commons Privileges Committee is due to report back on their finding on whether Johnson deliberately misled Parliament when he claimed, you know, either there were no parties, we didn't know anything about parties. And that seems like the crunch point. Certainly, if the committee says, yes, it's clear he misled Parliament, there will be a massive push for him to go. But no one can really tell. Things can change really quickly. He might be gone in three weeks. He might still be here in 18 months. Peter, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Helen Pidd and Peter Walker. You can follow their reporting from both by-elections at theguardian.com. And for more on this week's by-elections... Do listen to Politics Weekly UK with John Harris. This episode was produced by Eva Krisiak. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producers are Elizabeth Cassin and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. <laughs>